It's Friday, July 16th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Expanded child tax credits have started to hit bank accounts of eligible families, and for many, the monthly payments will be sent out automatically. But some families may need to sign up on an IRS portal. The Biden administration says that these expanded tax credits could reduce child poverty by as much as 50% and hopes to get a four-year extension for the program. Lauren Egan, White House reporter at NBC News, joins us for what to know, as anything with taxes is never that simple. Next, former President Trump is not happy about recent excerpts from a trio of new books about his presidency. There will also be more books to come, including a very anticipated release from former counselor Kellyanne Conway. Reports say that Trump sat down for at least 22 book interviews. Meredith McGraw, national political correspondent at Politico, joins us for how Trump is raging over books he did interviews for. Finally, professional dog trainers are having to deal with an increase in misbehaving pandemic puppies. Because of quarantines and shutdowns, many first-time dog owners didn't properly train or socialize their pups, which led them to be overly reactive or have separation anxiety. The big worry for these trainers is that if people can't get their dogs under control, they may be surrendered. Bailey Berg, contributor to Vice News, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We shouldn't let taxes go up on working families. We shouldn't let child poverty continue to stain the conscience or drag down our economy. And so I say to my colleagues in Congress, this tax cut for working families is something we should extend, not end next year. Joining us now is Lauren Egan, White House reporter at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thanks for having me. The expanded child tax credit, the first wave of monthly payments have started hitting bank accounts already. These payments were included as part of the American Rescue Plan. The Biden administration is very happy with these. They say that this could help reduce child poverty by as much as 50 percent. Lauren, tell us a little bit more about these monthly payments now. Yeah, that's right. These payments are, you know, some listeners might be familiar with them. They have existed in the past, but these are now expanded. It's going to be more money and it's going to include more people. So before, if you didn't file taxes or you didn't have any income, you were left out of these benefits. That's all changed now. So that's why the White House is really touting this, saying that, these payments are going to have the, po- the potential to cut child poverty in half, which is a huge change from how the tax credit used to work before. But still, you know, the program faces some challenges. As you mentioned, the el- eligibility has changed, but you still have to sign up for it. You still have to go onto the web portals and all that to be able to claim this money. And the White House has acknowledged that this is one huge downside of this program. If you don't file taxes, then you have to go onto the IRS website and submit all of your information. If, you know, if anyone's ever used an IRS or government website, you're familiar with how cumbersome they can be. So that's going to be a significant challenge. Another problem with it is that right now it's just in English. So anyone who does not speak English as a first language, that's going to be challenging as well. And then a third challenge is just that some people don't know that this program exists. You saw President Biden on Thursday give a big speech about the child tax credit. Vice President Harris has also talked about it. But if you don't know that this program exists, then it's pretty hard to get someone to go and actually sign up with the IRS. 39 million families are eligible and who have already filed taxes or have received the stimulus payments. They're already in the system. They don't need to do anything. But 
they estimate that there's 4 million to 8 million eligible children that are at risk of missing out on this because, you know, of a number of reasons. These families need to go sign up for that. So, Lauren, walk us through who's qualifying, how much money are we getting? What are the changes? So any person who claims a dependent who's 17 years or younger qualifies for this tax credit. And depending on how old your kids are, that's going to depend on how much money you get. So if your child is six years and younger, you're going to see a little bit more money than if they're six to 17. And the IRS is determining your kid's age depending on how old they are in this calendar year. So for example, if your child turns 18 in 2021, they are not going to be eligible for this payment. And there's also an income cap. So you're going to get the full benefit if you are a single parent who makes up to $112,000 a year, or if you're a junk filer who makes $150,000 a year. And the payments start to taper out the more money you make with kind of really phasing out once you're above that $400,000 income threshold. One of the big features of this, obviously, is that they're monthly payments. You can also opt to get it as a lump sum, you know, at the end of the tax season and all. But that's one of those things, you know, nothing is simple when it comes to taxes, unfortunately. And that's one of the things that could trip some families up, depending on the tax filing that you used. If you made more money, you know, these prepayments that they're making here could kind of bite you in the butt later on. So again, all of this information has to go to the IRS. So if you, for example, had a kid this year and you think that you should be getting this credit, let's say you got married, you lost a job, anything like that that could impact how much money you'd be getting, you have to file this all with the IRS. Now, for family changes, for example, like if you had your first kid this year, that can't be uploaded with the IRS until later on in the summer. There's two different IRS portals. One of them is just to register your tax information. So if you're a non-filer, that's going to be a separate portal than family changes that you might want to register with the IRS. Obviously, having two different IRS government websites only makes this a more complicated and more challenging process to folks. The White House did release a new website, what she asked now puts us at three different websites. <laughs> oh, no. so they released a new website this week to try and streamline some of the information. So for any folks who are confused about what they need to do, the White House does have a new landing page that tries to help people sort through this. But as you mentioned, anytime we're talking about taxes, the IRS, it's never, ever easy. These uh, expanded credits end in December. President Biden has called for a four-year extension to all of this. This would need congressional approval. How does that look? I mean, is there support for something like this? Yeah, that is a great question, and we don't have the answer to that right now. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki was actually asked about this during Thursday's briefing, whether or not Biden would accept a spending package that's being negotiated right now with senators, if he would accept something that didn't have the extension to it. And she said that Biden was open to changes to his proposal, which kind of leaves the door open for there to not be that four-year extension. But a lot of progressives, Democratic progressives, have said that they want to make this permanent, not just a four-year extension. This needs to be permanent. This is just a huge wave of money that's going to be going to a lot of families. It can be up to $300 per kid per month for some folks. So this is going to be a huge challenge and battle I think we're going to see on Capitol Hill in the coming days as we continue to talk about these infrastructure and spending package negotiations. Lauren Egan, White House reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
So although he's able to control maybe what he tells these reporters, they also talk to a whole host of people from the Pentagon, from the White House, from across Washington who were in this administration, dealt with this administration, and obviously have some very interesting stories to tell. Joining us now is Meredith McGraw, national political correspondent at Politico. Thanks for joining us, Meredith. Hey, thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about these trio of books that are coming out about President Trump. As I mentioned, we have three. So we have, frankly, we did win this election from Wall Street Journal reporter Michael Bender, Michael Wolf's Landslide, The Final Days of the Trump White House, and I Alone Can Fix It, which is co-authored by a pair of Washington Post reporters. The president obviously is not happy with a lot of what's coming out in this, but he sat down for these books. I think we heard reports that he's actually sat down for for 22 different interviews for books, you know, after the election and all. So, Meredith, tell us what we're hearing about about these books and, and reaction from the president. Yeah, well, it's not just these three that are coming out, but a whole slew of books by pretty prominent journalists in Washington, historians about Trump's uh, years in the White House. And the president, the former president is very eager to tell his own version of events, and he's very sensitive to how he's portrayed by history. And so he was eager to sit down with all of these these reporters and journalists. And one advisor told me, you know, even if it, it gives him, you know, a three, five, ten percent uh, chance of having more positive coverage, then he's all for it. But it's safe to say he has not been happy with the excerpts that has come out because although he's able to control maybe what he tells these reporters, they also talk to a whole host of people from the Pentagon, from the White House, from across Washington who were in this administration, dealt with this administration, and obviously have some very interesting stories to tell. You mentioned that there's obviously more books on the horizon. Two books, I guess, that people are really interested are going to be from uh, Kellyanne Conway, counselor to the president, and even Jared Kushner. I, I think the, the book from Kellyanne Conway uh, is poised to be really, really interesting in, in what we see there. Yeah, that's really a fascinating one. I am most excited about and most interested in reading that one. Now, it's also interesting that the Kellyanne Kushner books coming out because they kind of famously feuded in the White House while they were there. But, you know, Kellyanne Conway is someone who is known to speak her mind. She does not hold back. And I think she's been watching as some of these different accounts have come out about her, about time in the White House. And I've heard that she definitely wants to set the record straight, at least how she sees things. And I've talked to people who worked with her on the campaign and the White House. And there are some concerns about uh, just what she might tell in, in her forthcoming book. There still isn't a release date there. We do know it's coming, but, and she still hasn't said anything on the record herself about the book, but there is a lot of anticipation for what she might say. Let's talk briefly a little bit about what we're seeing. I like the way you put it in your article, uh, a steady stream of scooplets from the books <laughs> that are coming out right now. Uh, one that stood out to me was uh, President Trump believed that the Democratic Party was going to withdraw the nomination for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and put in Andrew Cuomo and Michelle Obama. Supposedly, he heard this from Sean Hannity. He, I guess he told something, his chief of staff, John Kelly, at the time that Adolf Hitler had done a lot of good things. You know, So these are all the types of things that we hear coming out of these books. I think one of the most interesting things as somebody who covered the Trump White House is just how many of these stories we haven't heard yet. 
and just never came out. I mean, there was such intense scrutiny over everything that happened in the White House day to day. And obviously, a lot of reporting that was just missed in the really flurry of news that we had to keep up with. You know, a lot of these accounts, I know the reporters from talking to them, they have been pretty painstaking about talking to as many people as they can and and going back and and fact-checking things, you know, checking in with different people who are in the room. And I know some of these reporters personally, and I I really respect them. So the fact that they were able to keep some of these pretty eye-popping stories under wraps is, I think, remarkable in and of itself. But what has the president said so far about these excerpts? He hasn't been happy about it. I talked to somebody who recently spoken to the former president, and yeah, he's not happy about what has been said. He feels like he made time for these journalists. He sat down with them at Mar-a-Lago, and yet the stories that have come out so far do not paint him in the most favorable light. But I think at the same time, you know, Trump has been in the headlines for decades now, and he's kind of of the mindset, especially now that he's not in the White House, that all press is good press. He's still in the headlines. He's still... Uh, being talked about, and people aren't saying what he would like, still think he does enjoy ginning up news. Meredith McGraw, National Political Correspondent at Politico, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I spoke with a couple different dog trainers, and They were across the board saying, hey, we've not seen this level of reactivity. We've not seen this level of anxiety ever before. It's something completely unprecedented. And we have successfully trained dogs for millennia. So the fact that now the issues are more challenging is somewhat indicative of everyone getting pandemic. Joining us now is Bailey Berg, contributor to Vice News. Thanks for joining us, Bailey. Thank you wanted to check in on the pandemic puppy generation that we're seeing grow up right now. According to a lot of dog trainers, they're seeing a huge number of them with uh, severe behavioral problems, separation anxiety, being overly reactive are kind of like the top two things that they're struggling with right now. And, uh, you know, for a lot of dog trainers, they're booked up months in advance with other clients and people desperately need help. They don't know what to do to control their puppies right now. So, uh, Bailey, you took a look into all of this. Tell us what's going on. So I spoke with a couple different dog trainers and they were across the board saying, hey, we've not seen this level of reactivity. We've not seen this level of anxiety ever before. It's something completely unprecedented. And we have successfully trained dogs for millennia. So the fact that now the issues are more challenging is somewhat indicative of everyone getting pandemic puppies and maybe aren't as, you know, maybe they're first time dog owners and they just weren't really sure how to train their dogs, particularly during a pandemic where they couldn't go to a trainer or couldn't socialize their dogs. Well, you know, as, <laughs> as, the, as the quarantine started uh, picking up last year, you know, a lot of people were pointing to getting pets as a fix for, you know, being lonely for kids that were at home that needed some more activities everybody turned to kind of uh, adopting pets and we were hearing stories about places, kennels, uh, everybody, everybody getting dogs and whatnot. A little bit on those numbers, there was about 12.6 million households that took in pets 
between March and December of 2020. You know, so everybody was making it as this big thing. Those numbers are actually um, adoptions were actually down last year, but still it became one of those things that everybody flocked to. And, and you're right. As you mentioned, a lot of them were first time dog trainers. So in you spoke to a number of trainers. What did they say about how things should have been done? We always hear you got to start training very early with all of this. That was a big thing was that people were just at home, so they weren't really training their dogs. And then once they started going back to work, it was a very jarring experience for their dogs who were very used to one schedule. And one of the things that the trainers were saying was that if you are going to go back to the office, you should start working with your dog a few weeks ahead of time, you know, get them used to you being out of the house. So many dogs had problems because they were so used to, you know, their parents being home all day long, getting to go with them on car rides, that kind of thing. So getting them prepared for what the new schedule would be like was something that apparently a lot of dog owners didn't do. And then what the trainers was saying is that where there is confusion, there's conflict or sorry, where there's Yeah, where there's confusion, that's where conflict comes from. When the dogs don't know what they're supposed to be doing, that they don't know that they're going to be fine, that's when these issues become more apparent. So let's talk about the two main things that are happening with these pandemic puppies right now. The first one is being overly reactive. And and my own dog kind of, I I see this part of it in him. Uh, My wife worked from home throughout the pandemic, and he was there the whole time with her. They basically isolating in the apartment for most of the time. And and I see these uh, kind of symptoms, I guess you could call them, of being overly reactive. Just any little thing kind of throws him off right now and he'll start barking right away. So this is one of the main ones for dogs right now. Yeah. So one of the issues is that dogs are being a little bit more reactive. And, you know, a lot of that, especially with the new, new dogs brought into the home, uh, it's an issue of just not getting the proper stimuli You know, if you are home all day and you've never experienced being in a crowd, being around people that aren't your family, that can make it really stressful for a dog, especially if, you know, it's been quite a few months and they expect that, you know, this is how life is. And then being taken to a situation where it is not that, uh, it can be jarring. The separation anxiety, as we kind of were talking about, That was the other one that uh, you alluded to, kind of having to train them ahead of time. Hey, I'm going to be gone for a little while. Everything's going to be okay because if uh, they're left to their own devices, they might be getting into some trouble. And the big worry for all the a lot of the dog trainers that you spoke to is that they just simply don't have enough time to handle all of these cases. And they're afraid that, uh, you know, people could get tired of it, maybe surrender the puppies and then they'll end up in the dog pound later on. Yeah, I mean, and that's not an unwarranted concern. It's something like 20% of dogs that are surrendered end up being put down because of overpopulation problems. So definitely, you know, a valid concern for dog trainers that, you know, I mean, they're people that love dogs, so they want to do what they can to help as many as possible. Bailey Berg, contributor to Vice News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.